You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. My guest today is Paul Coe, and he is an actor, a musician, a writer, and an entrepreneur. He played the iconic role of Martin Yip in the God's Not Dead blockbuster franchise, which has grossed over $90 million worldwide. He has also worked on other projects such as Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, Fresh Off the Boat, Scrubs, and so many more. And as a lifelong musician, Paul has performed with critically acclaimed cellist Yo-Yo Ma, and his music has also been featured in God's Not Dead franchise. He has released eight original music albums, and he has also established a successful pop rock academy in the greater Los Angeles area, cultivating a new generation of performers. And he has also released his first children's book, Nervous Nelly's First Recital, Helping Young Students Overcome Nervousness. Well, let's welcome the multi-talented at everything he does, Paul Coe, to the show. How are you doing, Paul? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Well, I want to kind of work back. I want to go back because I want to understand a little bit of your history and backstory. And I understand that your family uh, um, immigrated to America from Hong Kong. How old were you at that time? I was eight years old uh, when we moved here. And my dad came here for seminary school, actually. And it's a very interesting story. Um, He he decided to go to a, uh, they have these like conventions with a bunch of seminary schools from around the world in Hong Kong. And they would go to, you know, and, and so people would go and, you know, like him would go and check out all the different schools and all the ones that have to offer. And there was this one school that went to Hong Kong that first, that was the first year there because uh, they're primarily a Mandarin speaking school and Hong Kong's Cantonese speaking. And so he was like, oh, okay, well, uh, the school went there and just to try it out and see if they got anyone. And then my dad happened to be at that convention that one year and he signed up for that school. And he was the only student who's ever signed up for that school from Hong Kong. And so the school never went back to Hong Kong to recruit students. So it's kind of like one of those God sent story, like God sent the school there on that one year, just so my dad can be at the school and get here to the U.S. And that's how we got here. Wow. So, so when he got to, when, when, when your whole family came to the United States, did you, uh, was it, was Los Angeles the first stop? Yeah, we came here, we moved here to the, uh, it's the suburbs of Los Angeles. It's San Gabriel. So we've been there ever since my family, my parents are still there. I live there in San Gabriel, um, about five minutes away from my parents because it's really close. It's easy to get to all my additions in Hollywood. And that's also where my, um, my, my business, Pop Rock Academy, is also at, uh, well, it's in the next door city. It's in Temple City. So it's like in 10 minutes from where I live. Well, is your father still a pastor? Oh, yeah. He has a uh, church in El Monte. Uh, it's also another one of those, you know, another city nearby. And they've been there for decades. And he also does a lot of missionary work, not the last two years because of COVID. So he hasn't gone out. But usually he goes out like once or twice a year to all over the world to various parts of, you know, Asia, mostly in Asia, um, doing missionary work and uh, with my mom. Well, you know, with your family coming to Los Angeles from Hong Kong, was it in a way uh, God kind of 
knowing what your purpose and calling was going to be in life, knowing that you were going to be a musician and actor and so much more. And LA is the perfect place. I mean, that's the way I always think about it. I, I always think, you know, like one of the biggest reasons for my parents to be here and, you know, that they have, they struggled when they got here too. You know, it wasn't an easy thing. And all that struggle and all that, uh, all that, uh, all the work that they've done is, you know, in part for me to be here because I, I can't see myself doing this over in Hong Kong. Um, you know, the industry is just very different over there and the opportunities here is, is much bigger and, uh, you know, actually feasible to try to pursue this as a career. Well, what kind of encouragements did your parents give you growing up? <laughs> um, well, you know, because my, you know, my dad being a pastor, um, I played piano at the church. So that was like, go ahead, study. Because I did my college degree in piano performance at USC. So my parents were like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Because, you know, it would be great because you can play for churches and get direct music at churches, if anything. That, that's all, that was all that, the, that was on their mind. They weren't really necessarily thinking me going out pursuing a music career and let alone an acting career because I, I didn't start off with that. I started off with just music. Um, in fact, even my, uh, some of my uncles, uh, I, my mom told me, one of my uncles asked him, like, why would you let him go and study music? There's no money. You can't make any money. But my parents were like, well, if you have anything else to suggest for him to do, go ahead. But, you know, my uncle couldn't think of anything else for me to go and do because um, he's like a, he's like one of the top civil engineers in Hong Kong. So like he's all about science and, you know, like you know, all the engineering, math, that kind of uh, work. So to him, being a musician and being an actor is definitely very foreign. Well, it, it's kind of funny because as many recording artists that I interview, we all laugh about that one thing about becoming a musician. The parents always say, you can't make money doing that. Get a real job. Is that what it seemed like to you? Well, that was what my uncle, my family, like not my parents, but my, uh, my, my relatives all said. But my parents were okay with it because they figure I could, uh, you know, I can play for the church. I can, you know, serve and do all that. Like to them, that was okay. It didn't matter about the money wasn't the, the biggest thing as long as that was their you know, motivation because, you know, my dad's a pastor, so <laughs> he's perfectly fine and okay with that. Well, how old were you when you first started to uh, go into the recording studio? Oh, I mean, I, 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 I didn't start going, going, because I, even though I did my piano performance, I, you know, piano, uh, I didn't record stuff until after I got out of college, so... And then like the first couple of uh, things that uh, I did, I recorded at home. So I had a home studio, but I had a really, really amazing engineer who like, you know, made it, uh, helped me get my whole setup. So then I, cause I have my grand piano there. And so he told me like what mics to get and how to, where to put it. And then he engineered the whole thing. Uh, and then, um, yeah. And then after that, I did a lot of like voiceover stuff. So I did go into a lot of studios. So that was like, all of that was after college around like 25 ish or so. That's when I started like going out recording big films and stuff. I think the first one I did was Mummy Three. That's with Jet Li and uh, the movie with Jet Li and uh, Michelle Yao and Brandon Fraser. And I was like, that was the first big studio recording thing that I went in. I was like, whoa, what is this? But it was well, fun. It was exciting. So your voiceover work kind of started first, moving you into acting. 
And so how did you make that little bit of transition even before you got into the mummy movie? Um, I mean, I started off both as both. Um, but the thing is, I went on uh, auditions like any aspiring actor, anything that came into my, my radar, I was like, I'm there. The very first thing actually I did was a music video for a band called American Hi-Fi. Like they had a one hit one, one hit wonder back in like the mid 2000s. And so I never even saw the music video. It was my, my friend who was doing a uh, English teaching program in Japan suddenly called me one day and go, I saw you on TV. I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's a music video. Because at that time, like the American bands were very popular in Japan. So she was teaching there and she was like in like Fukushima in rural Japan and saw me on TV and was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Seeing your high school friend, you know, on TV in Japan. Um, but I, I've still, I have, I've never even seen it. And, but, you know, it, but it was a struggle after that. Like it was hard trying to book things, but I, you know, uh, I met some really wonderful people. Uh, I met a casting director who put, uh, got me into a lot of like voice, uh, Chinese, uh, radio commercials. And then one of the actress that I worked with, uh, she's the late Elizabeth Sung. She passed away a few years ago and she was a great friend and a great mentor. And she's very well respected in the uh, industry, uh, and especially in the Asian American working actress. She's like a veteran. And so she's the one who kind of like, oh, you do music? Oh, you sing? You do all that? You know, um, when you get your, you know, SAC card, you know, call me and I will introduce you into the world of looping and, you know, doing all that stuff. I'm like, okay. So as soon as I did, I called her up and she's like, got me and revered me into and the first job was you know mommy three <laughs> because of wonderful people like her wow that that's a pretty big uh start right then and there uh when did you end up on scrubs um i think that was in 2008 around i think my, i can't remember which one came uh, scrubs came first i believe yeah scrubs came first and uh right before because i that was when i got my uh sad car and then i you know uh <clears throat> And I had my first commercial, oh, my second uh, agent, because I spent two years kind of, you know, trying to figure out the industry and I had my first agent and then it wasn't really working out. And then I, I found another agent. Um, and so I signed with them and he, uh, he was like, okay, after you book your first commercial, give me a call and uh, we'll talk about getting you into, you know, auditioning for theatrical stuff. So I, you know, after my first uh, commercial, uh, first commercial, I think it was a Verizon commercial um, that I did. And then, well, of course, I picked up the phone immediately called him and go, hey, I just spoke it. So are you going to send me out? So he sent me out it was uh, the second edition, the second theatrical edition. Somehow I managed to book it. I was like, wait, what? How did I book the second edition I went on? And it's for Scrubs because I've been watching Scrubs for years because um, that was season seven already. And and so that was like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, wow, I booked Scrubs. And then, and then a few months later, I booked another role on Knight Rider, the reboot. And I'm like, wait, how did all of this stuff just suddenly happen? It, it was crazy. It just kind of, it, I, I went on audition like any normal actor would do. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I noticed that uh, you at Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, which believe it or not, my family, we absolutely love that movie because it's so funny. Uh, and uh, we've seen it numerous times and it just keeps getting better and better. It's got a great story to it, but I love it. So how did you get into 
things like Black Panther and and Crazy Rich Asians. And I mean, your your resume keeps getting bigger and bigger. Well, um, <clears throat> it's really like with the voiceover. Once I started working on Mummy, you know, I did well. My friend was wonderful, and she coached me through the whole session. It was like, you know, I have a teacher sitting next to me while I'm working. Uh, so I learned so much um, about looping. And over the years, I just met more people, and they introduced me, like people like Karen Huey and David Chen and, like, you know, uh, uh, James Leung, Jim Lau, like all the veteran actors, uh, Asian-American voiceover actors in the industry. And so we just refer, they just refer me to all these different jobs every time there's a job. And they're like, we need more Asian men voices. You have someone, right? You can call Paul. I'm like, yes, I'm there. <laughs> Wow! Well, now, yeah. Well, then, how did you get? In the, so, so was it basically the same process of of uh, auditioning or being called or getting the movie, uh, getting the Martin Yip role in God's Not Dead? It's a little different. Well, yeah, for the um, Martin Yip role, I definitely auditioned, and that was hilarious because I never thought I would be booking that. Because um, I went on an audition. Um, it was. I, I I literally just opened up my uh, my school my business the month before I started the, well, about two months before and it's my first business so I didn't really know what I was doing I was kind of like oh, I don't know I'm just doing this I have no idea and I hired an assistant and she also didn't know what she was doing and and I, well, it was like two months later uh, I started in August and so like in at the end of October my agent sent me off like it's I remember it's a Monday. Uh, where I went into the audition and I was like, okay, it's just like any, any other audition. I went and did my, uh, my audition for Billy the Motor casting. Um, and he was, uh, and you know, I, I was like, okay, I did it just like any audition. I'm never going to hear back from anyone, but I went and did it. It was fine. It was fun. And my friend the next day who all, uh, I saw at the, uh, at the audition. So he kn knew that I also auditioned for the role. He gives me a call and go like, Hey, Paul, you know, I'm going out of town this weekend, but if you hear anything from the movie, let me know. And I was like, I'm, you're not going to hear from me. I'm not going to book this. There's no way you're probably going to book it. No, you know, you tell me. And so, but then two hours later, I get my agent calls me and go, you booked it and you're flying out this weekend and you're shooting for three weeks. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so I call my friend. I'm like, yeah, um, apparently I did book it. So you can go on your vacation now without worrying. Well, um, well, well, let me ask you something because you bring up something that I don't hear from a lot of people and that's going on numerous auditions. How do you, how did you, how did you handle any rejection in the beginning? And did you just kind of, every time you go to audition, do you just kind of when you leave, you're like, hey, if I get it, great. If I don't, there's always be another audition. Yeah, I mean, I always think of it like it's two different things. Uh, first is for me, it's, yeah, exactly that. You know, I was taught, one of my uh, teacher, Joe Hacker, where, who I studied on camera at USC, he, you know, told us, never end your day on an audition. Basically, at the end of the day, go do something else. Go, you know, enjoy a meal with your friends, but don't dwell on it because you're not going to get most of it. 90% of the additions you're not going to get, you know. And I've always think like actors make the best, you know, anything. After, if they ever leave the industry, that's why they're so great in anything else they do because they're so used to rejection. Because we get rejected every day, multiple times, you know. It's like it's always another rejection because... 
and, and my friend Elizabeth, uh, she's the one who told me like, there's always another edition. There's always another job. She's been in there in the industry for 40 years. There's always something else. If this one doesn't work, there will be something else. And for me, it's kind of like, I just put it in God's hand. You know, he'll give me the job that he wants me to have. The ones that he doesn't want me to have, I won't get. It will all be fine. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to go do my thing and have fun and enjoy. <laughs> That's kind of how I see it. Well, well, Paul, I think there is a very big sermon series right there. And for <laughs> people to realize, don't get bent out of shape. Don't get upset. Don't get irritated or depressed because of rejection because God's always got something around the corner and that just comes down to faith. So let me ask you this because you've worked with you worked on secular projects and of course God's not death being uh, God's not dead being faith-based. What's the difference if any of being on set of a secular project versus one that is faith-based? Um I mean it's the difference, I think it's the after, you know, the, the aftermath, um, not so much working on the set. Cause when you're on the set, it's very, uh, you know, God's not dead set was very professional, was very well run. You know, I love working with David White and, and, and the whole team over there. So like, you know, there's nothing unprofessional about it. It's not because it's fake. So there's some weird thing going on. No, it's just, the sh we're just shooting a movie. Like we shoot any other movie. Um, so, but I mean, the good th the thing is is that God's Not Dead set was very friendly, and with other sets, it's not always friendly. Um, there, are, I mean, with the secular set, there are friendly sets too. Like I have lots of wonderful friends, and I've met wonderful people. But there's also sets where I went on. It's like one time I remember shooting a commercial. My agent gave me a call and say, "Be careful of this director. He like he will yell at people, and he once made a 13 year old cry." So, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's good to know, you know, like keep my distance away. But uh, for a, uh, well, definitely with um, God's Not Dead um, and the, uh, the well, Pureflix and now Pinnacle, um, their productions, they're always very friendly. I love all the people that I've worked with. I, I haven't had a bad time with them. Like fans was wonderful um, to work with and Harold uh, is great too. So, I mean, it's generally much, I guess the expectation is we're gonna have more friendliness, for sure, uh, on a on a uh, faith-based set. But in terms of professionalism, everyone's professional. Everyone works on all sorts of projects, and but the aftermath is what's different because you know um, faith-based uh, movies. I get a lot of wonderful positive feedback because you know people's lives are being changed. Um, people feel uh, make a difference, and some secular movies like uh, like Crazy Rich Asians and like the new Shang Chi, we get a lot of you know because it's Asian representation. So I get a lot of those positive feedback. But like other movies where it's just like, and eh, just another blockbuster, like you know, it's just one of the many you know the fourth or fifth installment of a money making machine that has no real impact on people. Like that's just the paycheck. Well, are you surprised by the great success of the God's Not Dead franchise? I mean, yeah, I think everyone is. Um, nobody, at least definitely with the first one, I mean, nobody expected that kind of reaction. I think I was told it would have the number one shared trailer of the year on Facebook that year when it, you know, kind of like just blew up and like everyone started sharing it and 
after the movie came out that first couple of weeks, all my friends and people that I didn't even, I haven't even talked to for a long time would text me and hashtag God's not dead because they've all seen it. And I think that that hashtag um, and that idea of just spreading, you know, the message out there uh, really got people excited. And I think it, uh, that was, and also on top of that, I had a lot of people who kind of who came up, uh, told me, especially my friends who've been watching a lot of Christian movies and even online non-friends and fans who just messaged my Instagram and Facebook and they were telling me like, it's it, the acting quality and uh, was so much better than all the other uh, uh, faith-based films they've seen before. And so that made me feel good because it's like, yay, I did a good acting. <laughs> um, uh, my acting job was great. So, and I think that's really, you know, um, credit to the production team, you know, and the producers to have that. And of course, Harold for the first one, to have that vision of making a high quality Christian film that is comparable to mainstream movies. Yeah, and I love the franchise and I'm so glad that they decided to create sequels. So when the first sequel was, uh, I guess, thought of, did you immediately get a phone call? Um, I, don't, I don't remember that moment. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think we were just kind of all like, um, you know, in, in, in still kind of like feeling the whole like, wow, how, you know, where are we going now? And I mean, I did get a phone call eventually. I think they were, I think the team was just trying to figure out what would this sequel be because they didn't think they weren't planning on a sequel initially. So they have no idea what this sequel would even be because, you know, it, um, spoiler, uh, if you haven't seen the first one, but you should have by now, if you haven't, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, Kevin's character um, um, dies at the end. So it's kind of like, well, where do you go? You have, you know, the, the, one of the uh, leads, a big name actor who dies in the end. So everyone's kind of like, well, how, do, how which direction do we even go? So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. I love how, you know, um, with the second with Melissa Joan Hart, that was a wonderful work because I've seen her work since I was a little kid. And I'm like, yay, I'm working with her on a movie. That's so awesome. So I, I thought they did a great job, and I'm so grateful that they brought me back throughout the whole franchise. Well, you know, I was what I was happy about because you know, like you, well, if if the lead character dies in the first one, and you want to do a sequel, how do you pull that off? But what is so great about the uh, God's Not Dead franchise is that each each movie stands alone by itself. So. If you saw the, the the second one first, that's okay. You can go see the first one. So it's not like this big continuing story. And what did you think of the storyline of God's Not Dead, We the People? Well, so I thought it was I, definitely, you know, we were talking about it when we were on set, that this topic, I mean, with COVID right now, you know, it's definitely very relevant. No matter which side of, of the uh, debate you are on, I think it's, relevant you know we're all talking about it we're all talking about homeschooling and what that means you know uh, to the world because i you know being uh, now that i'm you know having operated this school uh, my school for 10 years i have students that are uh, both uh, some that are homeschooling some that were in public school some that were in public school that went into homeschooling because of covid and so i i think that's an important discussion about uh where our society is and what is um you know how do we handle something like this 
you know, what is important for us and how do we make sure that we have these options in the future uh, for generations to come. So, you know, I, I, I know the, uh, the franchise is definitely very controversial in, you know, in, to a lot of people, but I think one of the best thing that I think out of this whole thing for me, and, you know, having talked to David White a lot, uh, you know, especially this last one, because um, I had a lot of scenes with him, so I got a chance to really talk to him a lot, is that he, they're really about engaging conversation and that they want people to have these opportunities to talk about something that might be uncomfortable or that are very, you know, uh, highly emotional and personal to people that we do still talk about it. We don't just ignore it and just kind of, you know, brush it off or, or only insist that one side is right and the other side is absolutely wrong, that we have a conversation because there's always two sides to every story and we should have these um, discussion about important topics like this. And I think, you know, this homeschool, I mean, I don't think they were, uh, the, the, um, the story was actually pre-planned. Um, they came up with it a few years before COVID. So it wasn't like, oh, COVID hit, let's talk about this. It just happened to, to fit and, you know, with all of this, um environment that happened the last two years it was just timely for you know we we believe you know it's god said it's really god's plan this is the next thing that we should be discussing and talking about yeah i found it very interesting as i was watching the film that even though i guess the center storyline was about homeschooling but there was a much larger storyline that goes beyond homeschooling and i don't want to give it away to all of the viewers but, you know, it really comes down to that freedom is at stake and that there is a level of control that we could end up losing if we don't stand up for our rights, being either uh, our, our rights uh, to our faith or if it's homeschooling or whatever it is. I really learned from the movie that if someone's coming in to take something away from you, we need to stand up. And, but the way that, that way the film was constructed, the storyline, and, and ladies and gentlemen, there's more than one storyline in this movie, which Paul, I, I loved all of the storylines. And I think the one, the one storyline that really had me tear up was the father that kicked his daughter out of the house. And I don't want to give it I don't want to give it away. I want everybody to see the film, but that was those scenes in which that man was in, every scene was very moving. And it got you to thinking that, you know, that's happening in families right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of like uh, one of the things that really gravitated to me to this franchise was that a lot of the scenes and the things that are happening, they, I, I, a lot of it I've experienced or on some level, or I know people who've experienced it, and that especially that kind of a storyline where families have these kinds of you know, um, being in uh, knowing a lot of Asian families because my dad worked uh, you know pastors a lot, so I've seen it over the years, and that. Uh, there are definitely some parents who are religious in not not in Christianity, but their children, you know, turns to Christianity, and there it creates conflicts and drama, um, and problems for families for generations uh, uh, between the different generations for many years. For like you know, some of them could last decades long, and 
and you would see them, you know, trying to resolve it, especially when when maybe a parent is about, you know, to pass away and and the children are still trying to reconcile and trying to, you know, rekindle their relationship with their parents that, you know, were lost because of faith issues. So that I, I definitely gravitate to and I can uh, con- uh, connect with a lot because I've seen it happen so many times in so many families. Yeah, you know, when when the father was standing there at the altar in that church talking directly to the cross. And when I saw that scene, I got to thinking, you know, God tells us it's okay to talk to me like that. Because as he was talking, you could see what I was, as from what I uh, picked up by watching it, you could see God moving as that man was talking. And you could see the dialogue start to change. I thought the acting was absolutely fantastic because there was emotion. You believed it. and I, But again, Paul, I kept thinking, Ladies and gentlemen, it's okay to talk to God like that because he doesn't get mad at us if we yell at him because he's thankful that you've turned to talk to him regardless of what your tone of voice is. So I thought the scene was stellar. Yes, Marco is a fantastic actor. I mean, he's a veteran actor too, so I mean, he knows how to deliver those great emotional moments. And I'm so glad he's back too. And that was one of the storylines that, like Hadil is all, uh, you know, the daughter, uh, um, she's a, uh, we became great friends since the first one and we hang out a lot. So we always talk about it. And one of the things we really wanted was the franchise to, you know, close up this storyline and to really, you know, bring Marco back and have, you know, have a conclusion about this. And, you know, where did this go? What did this happen? And I think they did it justice, both uh, Hadil and both Marco and uh, both Marco and Hadil did a wonderful wonderful job, you know, helping us feel that emotional. Yeah. And I did, I felt the exact same way as you did watching that scene. I'm, I can see it in Marco's eyes, like that change in, cause you can tell that he's, you know, it reminds me of um, when Paul um, in the Bible, Apostle Paul in the Bible, where he was talking to, you know, the Roman, like I think it was the Romans uh, in a city where there was a statue to the uh, God unseen, you know, and then he said, like, this is the Christian God, like, you know, the God unseen is the God of all, you know, that is the God. And I feel like that's kind of that moment where Marco has, right? He's, you know, he, he was worshiping, uh, you know, a different God, but the thing is, you know, but when you just turn to this unseen, unknown entity, that is our God, you know, it's not, it's not a matter of how we name this God. God is just this unseen, unknown entity. And no matter you know what name, what by what you call him, it is the same God, like what Apostle Paul said. And I can see that turn that he saw that. And then suddenly, even though he was angry, he also at the same time, he's acknowledging this God is real. That otherwise, why are you talking to, you know, if it's not real, why are you even bothering talking to him? Well, so here's like that what... little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I found with that particular scene was when he went to the church, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm thinking he's not a Christian. What he did was he went to the church to confront the God in which his daughter believed in. And I thought, wow, you got to give an Oscar to the writer just for that scene, because I just loved the twist of that. 
because who would ever think of that type of storyline that here's the father and he's like, okay, my, you know, my, my daughter, well, I don't want to give the whole story away, ladies and gentlemen, because you've got to see the movie. I've got to stress this. You've got to see God's not dead. We the people. But to see that twist in which he goes to the church to the God, to talk to the God that his daughter believed in, that was just absolutely incredible. And it was so moving. But whoever wrote that scene, oh my gosh, they deserve a freaking Oscar for that. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think so too. I think they did a wonderful job. I, um, I, don't, I don't know exactly who came up with the scene because there were multiple writers to it. Um, but I think they did a fantastic job. Uh, it's, I mean, that, that was one of the things that I really did enjoy about the franchise is that they did do a lot of thinking about how to make, the, make sure the story is uh, believable. It is, you know, grounded in reality. It's not just some obscure thing, you know, we pull out in the air. It's, <laughs> it's based on what real people have experienced. And I, I can see that because I can see, you know, that this, this does happen. You know, like people do, you know, it's exactly like you said, confronting somebody else's God. You know, I, th I think it's as old as time. I think people have done that since ancient times. Yeah, I, I think if they ever uh, decide to make a fourth installment for God's Not Dead, I would probably pick Marcos's storyline. I, I just love that. But I want to ask you something about your music career because you performed with Yo-Yo Ma. How did that happen and what was that like? Uh, I mean, that was a while back. I performed with some... Um, Back in my college days, I had a wonderful opportunity because I um, I got into performing with the symphony at at USC. So uh, one of the guest artists was Yo, Yo Ma. So I was playing piano and and you know there's only one pianist for the whole symphony, and I was lucky enough to be the pianist for the symphony. And so it was wonderful being able to play with him and 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 he's just such a wonderful person to work with. He's very like grounded. He's not like, I'm too good for you. I'm the, you know, I'm the solo art. Not, he doesn't have that kind of ego. He would, I remember there was one point when he was playing a, the, you know, the piece of music. I can't remember what the piece was, but there was a point where it was just him and the harpist. And he's sitting in front of the orchestra, but he would turn his head all the way around and stare at the, at the harpist in the back and play with the harpist that way. Like, you know, he's connected with the, with the, um, with, the other players and all the other musicians. It doesn't matter where you, whether you are still in college or you are in some big giant name symphony or didn't matter to him. To him, it was all about the music at the moment and connecting with you and making that music. And, and that really inspired me, like, you know, humbled me a lot. Like this is a world-class musician here who's performed for, you know, all the greatest, you know, uh, people, musicians in the world. Yet here he is performing with college students, but still, humble enough to you know look at every individual musicians and really connecting with us and and then afterwards he was very nice and he would chat with all of us and he was talking with us and it was like he was just a normal guy <laughs> so that was a very inspirational and wonderful moment for me so well you know eight now are all eight of your albums are they piano albums uh no i did a couple of my last i i have six that are solo piano um albums and then i've one that was a, a a piano with other it's an instrumental holiday album that i i made with my band so i like did my own rendition of like favorite holiday tunes that i loved um 
all the Christmas songs that I grew up with. I'm like, I've always had these ideas. I wanted to do them this way. So I did that with some of my friends. And then my newest one is a vocal album that I, I wrote like songs that I've written um, that I, I wrote over the years. And I made it with one of my um, best friends. He's also a, he's a music producer. And he's also a producer at Disney. And he does like produce TV shows and stuff. He's multi-talented and he, He's one of my best friends, so we've worked on a lot of stuff, and we've been writing a couple of shows lately that we're we're kind of you know working around uh, you know, pitching to various places. So fingers crossed, <laughs> hope those go somewhere. Um, well, t- but yeah, so I. Well, tell us real quick about your Pop Rock Academy. That sounds very interesting. So I work with a lot of students. Um, with uh, you know, who, uh, we do I do music, dance, and acting. Um, and one of the main things that I wanted to start a school was because I wanted to have a school in this in where I live in my area that I didn't have when I when I grew up. <laughs> I wanted a school that I get uh, that uh, students will have a chance to learn how to get into the industry, uh, you know what it means to have an agent, how to even audition, and all that stuff. Because I didn't have a school around me, uh, at least not in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, that does that and that teaches students that when I uh, when I grew up so I wanted to create a school like that and I've been helping a lot of students so one of my students was the most recent she didn't even know I, I had no idea none of us knew but she ended up being the voice of um, the red light green light dawn squid game like, and she had no idea like now she's like the most famous voice in the world right now uh, she's on every meme online right now and we, we you know it was just such a wonderful opportunity to see my student i said you know i we've been i've been working with her for four or five years we've done a lot of like um on camera auditions and voiceover auditions and stuff and then one of my friends because i've met so many voiceover people and they were like we need an asian girl who can do you know who can do voices and can do voiceover do you have anyone to send over so i was like all right i'll send her in and she auditioned and then she she booked a netflix uh show it, w- it wasn't Squid Game first, and then she did a great job because I was coaching her like, okay, do this, make sure you do this. This is how you, you know, how how you handle yourself in the room. So she knew what to expect, and she didn't go in the room like, what, what what's going on? So she, you know, acted like a pro, and they loved her. And then they brought her back for a second show, and that turned out to be Squid Game. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? That <laughs> is the craziest thing. You know, you never know what could happen and of course right now squid game is like the biggest thing on the planet yeah so that's why the mom was like she the way you know they um because she was younger uh, she's like 10 years old and she had when she did the recording she only saw the doll she never even saw any of the other um uh, other characters or any like any of the you know inappropriate things that she shouldn't watch um because you know she was young so they only have her See the, so she was so confused. She told me like, I just saw like you know a doll and these adults playing red light green light. Why are they playing red light green light? <laughs> she was so confused with that. Like I don't even play red light green light. So and then her mom like um was uh her dad was uh was watching Squid Game because her uh, their friend said like oh you should watch this show it's really cool it's really awesome and so they were watching it and then. Suddenly she like she was I think she was like you know uh, making a smoothie or something I I don't I don't remember it was like late because it was after the bedtime for her daughter and then suddenly she turned around and heard her uh, heard her daughter's voice and went wait that's my daughter's voice <laughs> so I was like what what so they had no idea until it came out 
got what they what she worked on was Squid Game until she recognized her daughter's voice, and her dad's like, "No, that's not her." And they, and then she turned and saw the doll because the mom was in the room. Usually, she's not in the room, but because of the uh, of the of the violence and stuff, so they wanted to make sure she's there to to ensure that the daughter isn't watching anything that's not appropriate. So they did like they did their due diligence to make sure you know she's protected. Um, but so that's why she recognized the doll and she's like, no, that is the one she worked on. Oh my gosh. And, and then, so it kind of like just blew up and it was like the craziest thing ever. And, and I mean, you never know, like you said, you have no idea what that next project like God's not dead. I had no idea God's not dead would become like one of the biggest Christian franchise in the world. And, and just like this, you never know that this little job that voiceover job that, she did would become the biggest TV show in the world. You know, that, that is just crazy. And I always tell people, you know, just, you know, pull yourself out of the comfort zone, take a step of faith because you'll never ever know where you could go or where God can take you. And Paul, what would you like to accomplish in film and in music that you haven't done yet? Well, um, I mean, my next go is hopefully I can, I, I've been writing a lot of shows. Like, you know, I wrote that Nervous Nelly book. Um, that's one of those, um, I, you know, I want to really create, I have a whole world for it. I want to create a world of, you know, helping little children, um, you know, understand and embrace their uh, nervousness. And so that they can, you know, whether they want to go into performance or anything else, you know, having an understanding of performance and, will take them very, very far. And I want to create a whole franchise of folks, you know, based around that concept, helping kids grow in a positive manner. And then I, you know, turn it into a animated series would be wonderful. And also writing a few more shows that are, I'm writing a, and creating a story based on my grandfather uh, life because my grandfather experienced, um, he, he lived to 104 years old. And so he was, and my grandmother was 103 years old. So they lived a long time and they lived through World War II in Cambodia and, uh, and Vietnam and, and went through the Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia. So like at one point in their life in 1975, they were in Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia, when the government fell and the Khmer Rouge uh, communist regime took over the country, uh, the whole entire country. And so what they did in that one day, the entire city was emptied out. And so he was, uh, and him, my grandmother and three of his daughter, my dad was already out of the country and along with most of their children. Um, but uh, five of them were still in the, in the city and they were already separated because my, my grandfather that night was already in uh, was in his uh, office because he manages a warehouse there. And then while my grandmother and the three daughters were at home, so that morning when he got up, he couldn't even get, get back because it was too, it was pandemonium. Like uh, they were, they were get, kicking people out of the streets. So the street was you know there were there were like a million people on the streets leaving the city, going into the jungle, have no idea where they were going. So he got separated, but somehow uh, through the grace of God, for sure that he managed to find my grandmother and the three daughters in the middle of the jungle. Like, and they were going in all the different directions. So it wasn't like there was one path out the city. There were like a million paths out the city. 10 days later, found my grandmother who got separated from, the, uh, from her three daughters 
And then another day later, found the three daughters and they managed to reunite in the middle of the jungle and escape death multiple times and survive the entire regime until the regime collapsed. And then they were able to escape to Vietnam and then eventually went you know, to other parts of the world. Like that is the book that I'm not, that's my grandfather's life story. And I'm, you know, putting it into a, um, you know, writing my, um, into a book form and also a movie form or, you know, some sort of a film for, uh, form. So that's, you know, for me, it's one of those, it's an inspirational story because most people come out of those situations where, because most of their friends and people that they knew, like there was a family that started off with 26 people. And by the end of it, there were only seven people left, but my grandfather, everyone survived. Like oh. all his children survived. They, I have, you know, he has children now. Like there's, I have an uncle in France, an uncle in like Canada, some in Taiwan, some in Hong Kong. I even have a cousin now in Australia. So like his family just ended up all over the world as a result, but they all survived. Like, you know, then that's, that's a miracle in and of itself. Like it does not happen to 99% of the people, like at least one person would die, but no, everyone survived. And he lived to 104 and my grandmother 103. So like, that's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Like they just passed away um, two years, right before COVID. Um, that's when they passed away. It wasn't because of COVID. They were just, you know, they were just old. <laughs> so they lived a very <laughs> well, long, long when, life. When you get that book published, I want to read it because that is a story that I believe everybody needs to hear. And it's actually at a time that a lot of people either don't remember or they don't really know the true severity of what Cambodia was all about. And yeah. uh, so when you get it written or if you get the movie done first, let me know because I want to read it and watch it and talk to you again about it. Absolutely. I would love that. I would definitely send you a copy when I have the book out. <laughs> well, well, Paul, wow. This has been a great time with you and uh, much success and many blessings to you and also to the uh, God's Not Dead, We the People. So ladies and gentlemen, this is what I want you to do. You've got to see the movie, God's Not Dead, We the People. It is currently streaming until about November 21st on pureflix.com. And then it goes to DVD and other platforms on December the 7th. So and if you want to stay up to date, if you're a big fan of the God's Not Dead movies, you know where to go, godsnotdead.com. So that's where you want to go and find out. But please, I encourage everyone, even if you have to get your whole church together to watch God's Not Dead with the people, the message is for today. It's timely. Uh, like Paul uh, told us, this was thought of two years prior to even COVID. So what when you see the movie you're going to go like wow how did they get all this information put together so fast well i've got a strong inkling that uh, god can do some mighty mighty things ahead of time and i think the lord just did that with god's not dead we the people so ladies and gentlemen i can promote this movie till i'm blue in the face but what i want you to do is go see it right now. And Paul, again, I want to thank you so much for your time and honoring us with your presence. Well, thank you so much for having me here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Coe from God's Not Dead, We the People. And Paul, real quick, where can every one of my viewers and listeners find out more about you? 
You can find out about me at paulquill.com. That's my official website. And of course, follow me on Instagram at paulquill or paulquill fan page on Facebook and Twitter as well, paulquill. So just look up P-A-U-L-K-W-O and then you can find me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, paulquill.com. That's where you want to go. And don't forget pureflix.com as well as godsnotdead.com. And stick around because I'll be right back after this. <laughs> 